Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm very excited to introduce to you today Dr. Tro Collagen, and he is a practicing physician in the United States. So let's get to it. Welcome, Dr. Tro, and uh, tell us a little bit about your backstory and, and where you're from and, and what kind of brought you into this low-carb space initially in the first place. Uh, yeah, I'm a, so I'm a board-certified doctor. Uh, imagine, you know, uh, I came from, so let's, uh, how far back do you want to go? You know, came from an obese family. They told us it was genetic. Mom was overweight. Dad was overweight. Everybody was overweight. Brothers, wildly overweight. I was wildly obese. Um, I had a bit of reprieve in, in my young uh, childhood from it, but just in, in immediately came back on in college, went to medical school. Medical school just keeps coming on 10 pounds a year, adding on. And ultimately, I went to residency uh, in a Yale-affiliated uh, internal medicine program, became the chief resident there, and I hit 350 pounds. Um, and again, it was like five pounds a year. It wasn't five, maybe 10 pounds, stressful year, maybe 10 pounds, but five pounds a year. It was a slow, insidious thing. And, you know, I, I, <laughs> I found myself uh, as a board certified internal medicine doctor, having been the chief resident, uh, you know, uh, scored brilliantly well on my board medicine, exam, internal medicine board exam. And, um, I remember the point clearly when my one of my wife said, you know, are you going to be around, you know, to watch our third kid? She was pregnant with our third kid at the time. And she just, my wife is an amazing person. You know, she's, an, she's sharp, she's smart, she's like caring. And she's, you know, I think she knew exactly how to light a fire under my butt. And, and she turned to me and said, you know, you diagnosed this issue and my dad, he diagnosed this and these people in your practice, you know, your chief resident, you know, she's playing to my ego and you can't figure out obesity, you know? And so she knew exactly what to say. And that point there, I remember it very clearly. It was about seven years ago um, where I was like, I'm going to learn everything about this and I'm going to tackle it. And so uh, had, you, had you already gone through some uh, nutrition training then perhaps becoming a doctor? Do, do you have any nutrition training or, or, or the type of nutrition training you had? Was it enough to, to pull on? Um, yeah, so my, the, the summation of my nutrition training was maybe three days in medical school and uh, the guidelines. You know, why wouldn't, you know, I'm a doctor. I follow the guidelines for heart disease. I follow the guidelines for diabetes. Why wouldn't I follow the guidelines? And if you look at the guidelines from the AHA, it says eat more lean meat, more whole grains, you know, and more fruit, more vegetables, right? More starches, right? That's what it says. You know, um, if you look at the guidelines for the ADA, that's what they still say. Even though they're supportive of low carb, they still say, a healthy diet is one that helps you sustain weight with more whole grains, more fruit, more, you know, uh, vegetables, uh, more starches, right? That's these. Are, and look at the dietary guidelines for America. You know, this is what they say. They say, just eat more lean meat, eat more, you know, you know, uh, 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 whole grains, right? And I'm sitting there eating whole grain granola bars and whole grain cereal, ask myself, why am I always hungry? Why am I not losing weight, right? So something was very wrong, right? Because what they taught me led to very bad outcomes, 
right? It wasn't a it wasn't a clinical success. What they told us wasn't a clinical success. And at that point, you know, I remember being a 350 pound doctor. Somebody with diabetes would come to my office and say, you know, uh, and they'd be pre-diabetic or diabetic, and they'd have you know a little bit of weight to lose. And I would say, look, we all got to lose weight. Why don't you go to the diet? You know, the, the and I wanted to empathize with them. I wanted to. You know, I, I was over, I, I know their struggle. I was 350 pounds, you know, and I would tell these patients, well, why don't you go see the dietitian and you send them to the dietitian and nobody does anything. Nobody gets anywhere. Um, A1Cs get higher and higher. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a, an unfortunate paradigm. Really? So, so how, did, un- how did you go about uh, breaking that circle and what actually managed to turn your head to say, right, okay, we're, we're seeing all these patients, we're doing what we're being told, we're following these guidelines, but we must, must be missing something here. So what did you do? How did it turn about for you? Yeah, so look, I went and I would have done to obesity what I did with any other condition, okay? For any other condition, like let's say it was pneumonia. I would have gone to the literature. If I had pneumonia, okay, I would have gone to the literature, looked at the literature, you know, why is it the guidelines say give, you know, ceftriaxone and azithromycin? Why do they say give these antibiotics? Where, why do they, you know, what are the different regimens? How do they compare? What are the side effects, right? That's what I would have done, right? And that's what I did do. That's why I was a good doctor. Because I just, I wanted to know why the guidelines said what they said. So that's how I treated every other medical condition. Why did the guidelines say what they say? You know, how do they come to that conclusion? What do the head-to-head studies look like? Right? These are the most important things you can ask, right? For almost any condition, right? Simple as a UTI or all the way up to, you know, cancer, right? So... That's what I did. I went to the literature. I'm like, okay, why do the guidelines say what they say? And what do the head-to-head studies show for weight loss? And then you go to the head-to-head studies for weight loss, okay? And it's just a complete bombshell. Every single trial is supportive of low-carb diets, right? Every single head-to-head study, okay, favors low-carb. When they compare low-carb, low-fat to, you know, Atkins, Ornish, Weight Watchers, right? When they do these head-to-head studies, right? Directly, head to head, not the meta-analyses where they're combining all the trials and asking somebody to interpret the summation of these trials. All the head-to-head studies favor low-carb. So I'm like, great, I'm going to do that. You know, like, you know, yeah, I understand in the short term. Yeah, I understand what a healthy diet is, but, you know, I'm not, I don't care about heart health right now. I don't care about the whole grains, the theory of whole grains. And I just want to do the best at losing weight, right? That was my goal. And then you peel back more layers. Wait a second, it's better for hypertension. Wait a second, it's better for diabetes. Wait, you have high triglycerides, it's better for that. You have a low HDL, it's better for that. And you just go more and more to literature. The only area where I'd say maybe it's not better is, is if your LDL is through the roof, you know? and And that's manageable in itself. And, you know, that's a whole nother discussion. We're working on papers and, and algorithms, you know, kind of protocols really to show people how to manage that. We're, we're imminently working on publishing that. But the idea here is, is I knew the benefit and limitation 
after going to the literature, right? I understood, okay? I understood why all those societies, the HA, the ADA, why, why, you know, the DGA, why they all said, you know, eat lean meat. I understood it, right? They're looking at population data. They're looking at how do we keep people generally healthy who are already healthy, just like a completely different thing. I'm a 350 pound person and I'm hungry all the time and I want to lose weight. So you, right? you, I want the, you know, that's it. So you that found that out and then obviously you must have implemented it to yourself. So you thought, right, okay, you know, I'll give this a chance. I'll give this a shot. I'll give it a go and implemented it into your own life, into your own nutrition. Uh, so then obviously you started to see some changes happen. Maybe you could talk us through those changes and then, then you had to implement that into your patients as well. It's a long story, man, but let's just put it this way. Back up seven years, I'm 350 pounds within the first year of lowering my carbs. Okay. Um, I, you know, look, you know, I, I, I lose 80 pounds in the second year, I lose another 60 pounds in my third year. I lose another 10 pounds. I go from a 17 minute mile. Okay. To doing a 5k in 19, under 19 minutes. Right. I mean, so, so something happened here that I did not expect. And in fact, more and more of the magic happened the further I pushed my carbohydrates lower. So um, it, it was, so yeah, exactly. I started with myself and I'm like, wait a second, I'm not hungry anymore. That was like my biggest thing. I'm like, I was always hungry. I was always hungry. And then wait a second, I'm not hungry anymore. Well, that's what a stable blood sugar feels like. That's what it feels like when you're, you know, when you eat a pizza and your blood sugar goes through the roof and, you know, plummets two hours later, that's hunger. When your triglycerides are 300 and your brain is leptin resistant, resistant to hormones that are supposed to give you satiety, that's hunger, right? So all of that is reversed. I mean, in, in like, it, it, it's not that it's easy, but it just becomes easier when you're not hungry. You know, and then uh, the rest is history. And you know what? Here's the thing what I realized. It's not the same for everybody. If I wasn't obese and insulin resistant, I don't know that I would get the same benefit. You know, if I was like some, you know, fit young guy just looking to lose 10 pounds, I don't know that low carb would have been as magical. I don't know if that makes sense. But uh, so anyway, yeah, I lost a ton of weight and lost 150 pounds. Um, and then I'm like, I have to show people, I have to show my town that I'm in, that I'm a doctor in the town. You don't need the Gatorade. You don't need anything. I run a 5K for in the town. And I, I came in first for my age group, like just completely demolished everybody else at 195 pounds, which is whatever, like almost 100 kilos, right? And um, I'm, I'm, I'm placing, you know, against these 150 pound, like, you know, runners, right? Like that run all the time. I wasn't a runner. I just lost weight and started to run and I was completely fasted, no Gatorade, no carbs, right? And I'm winning town 5Ks. So there's something, I'm not like somebody special. I didn't, you know, I'm not an Olympic athlete. I'm from literally from the couch to 5K winning, you know, not doing like Olympic times, but, you know, not bad times. So then I was like, you know what, this is enough is enough. I'm going to have to practice medicine this way. So I, I had to leave 
you know, you can't really, here's the problem. You can't teach nutrition in the seven minutes that they give you to be a doctor in the insurance model. So I had to start to think, okay, how do I actually affect people's lives? How would I have reached somebody like me? Somebody who was busy, somebody who wanted to lose weight, didn't have time to go and, or the interest to go read the literature. And um, to do that, you need to be able to monitor very closely, right? Blood sugar, blood pressure, weight without them feeling like they're doing any work. So we designed a program here in our practice. Now we've been open three years where we have everybody with remote scales, everybody with continuous glucose monitors, you know, uh, everybody with blood pressure cuffs that work remotely, meaning like I get the data, you just use it at home and I get all this data. And we've been doing telemedicine for, for years, three years, right? Where, why would we tell you to force you to come in to lose weight? You don't, I mean, you don't even want to get dressed and get out of your home, right? I'm going to make you come into the office every week. No, we'll make it easy for you. We'll, so, and we're going to spend time with you. You know, our first visit, we, when you sign up in our practice, you get a half an hour consultation, right? With just our front desk to tell you how the practice works. The first visit with me is an hour and a half. The second visit, you know, uh, is with the health coach, which is another half hour. We meet weekly for eight weeks because you can't teach this, you know, if they could teach it, they would have done it in medical school. Yeah, right? it's, it's, a, it's a, a, long, a long, like you say, you can't just tell somebody the big question that I, sometimes I get asked is, what do I eat then? And you just can't tell anybody and you can't explain to somebody what to eat or, or what to do within nutrition in the strict amount of time that you get. Even it's so difficult, even over a couple of conversations, you know, you need that, spend that time and, and even to show them the results like you do, show them the actual data that's coming back, show them things that are happening to their body with the actual nutrition they're having. That's a great way to do it. And a great way that you've managed to bring it out all the way to your patients there. So they don't even have to bother going into the surgery. That's great. But what about all the other people like your colleagues? When you first started doing low carb, I mean, some of them must've thought, what are you doing? Are you crazy? And now you're going to put it across to your patients. You must've suffered a little bit of backlash there perhaps. Yeah, so look, the, the, we anticipated that. So the, the, this is what I did. I was trained in ultrasound. So I said, okay, you know what? We can do cardiac screening. We can do, uh, if people are worried about inflammation from meat, you know, all these bogus uh, things that we hear, we're gonna actually measure the intimate media thickness of the carotid with our ultrasound. We're gonna, you know, we track lipids and, and markers of inflammation. So we're tracking blood cholesterol at zero, two, four months, six months. I mean, we treat it like you're in a clinical trial. We're like, look, they say that meat and eggs cause diabetes, all the plant-based kind of whack jobs, right? And, and, you know, we'll show you, we'll put a CGM on you, we'll run the tests on you, right? So you can see, because I don't want you to trust me. I wouldn't trust me. Right. If I were coming to me, I wouldn't trust me. I'd want to see it. Right. So I'm going to show me the data. Right. I don't care about your opinion. And I, you know, my opinion about this, I don't care. I don't want people to care about my opinion. Don't ask me, you know, what to do and then just believe me by faith. So we're going to track the blood glucose. We're going to track the blood markers at zero to four months. You will watch what happens. So you don't have to trust me. You don't have to take it on faith. 
It's not my interpretation of the literature. You and your body. Okay, that's it. And this is what has helped me dispel all the criticism. Okay, this is exactly this focus on data is what's helped me, you know, uh, uh, dispel all the criticism because they have come after me. The local endocrinologist said he's inappropriately reducing fatty liver. Okay, you know, <laughs> I have a patient who's fatty liver resolve eating meat. Okay, and she found out, uh, you know, it was with cheese, right? And uh, eating meat, right? So it's like I committed a crime, you know, and I called her and I said, what's the problem? My, my, the patient came in very distraught. You know, she's lost weight, her fatty liver is better. And, you know, uh, she came in crying. You said that she's gonna die because that's the wrong way to improve her fatty liver. And um, she said, well, it's unacceptable to tell people to eat meat and, and uh, cheese, right? And I said, that's that what you, you know, it, so there's been these areas of contention. You know, we had a patient who had lost weight on uh, uh, was type one diabetic and had reduced her insulin needs by about 50%. Right, she went from like 150 units down to, I don't know, it was like 50 units, right, um, a day, right? The endocrinologist called me after this type one patient said, you know, are you telling her she's gonna be cured of type one diabetes? Or, you know, what are you, why are you lying to my patient? I'm like, what do you mean? I didn't say anything. I'm just trying to help her to lose weight and get off, all, you know, all the insulin she doesn't need. You know, she was, this patient was living in fear of hypoglycemia because she was just dosing insulin every time she ate Lucky Charms, the whole grain Lucky Charms that her endocrinologist said was fine, right? But it was not fine, right? She was overweight. She was using, she was going broke spending on insulin and, and um, she was in fear of hypoglycemia. So yeah, we faced that backlash, and um, and it's great to see that you do it with them, the man. data. Just, yeah, exactly. But yeah, you do it with you know. the hard data behind you, the hard science to back it up. It's not just you saying, "Look, it worked for me, so it's going to work for somebody else." I love what you do, and you say, "Look, let me show you. You know, let me don't don't listen to me. Yeah, all right, it worked for me, and I can tell you how I did it. But then you say, "Let's work with you, show you how it works with you." and all the data and all the science and everything to back it up. It's like you need to have extra material and you need to have extra in your fight against what everybody else believes, even though the science is there. Probably more science now coming out to back up a low carb diet than there is to back up the good eat well guide, you know, the, the food pyramid and all that. There's more science to prove, but it seems like people just don't want to believe it. So, well, look, I no, let's not blame them. Okay. They, they shouldn't believe it. They shouldn't have to believe it because nutrition is all about, you know, these food frequency questionnaires. When you look at nutritional research, it's, it's really the worst level of evidence, right? So, you know, one week eggs are bad, the next week eggs are good. And then eggs are bad again, and then eggs are good and meat's bad and meat's good and sugar's bad and sugar's good. I mean, if I was the average person, I wouldn't trust me and I wouldn't want to trust anybody. And of course you have the dietary guidelines for America, the, my plate, the eat well, right. The, um, the AHA, the ADA, the American cancer society, 
says eat more whole grains, more, you know, all these people are saying the same thing. Why should I believe you? That is the number one question you can ask me. Why should you believe me? Right? Yes, and I'll right. show you. And I'll show you. It's not, I'm not doing this for my critics. I'm doing it for my patients. What would it take for me to go against all these people? It would take a shit ton of evidence, a lot of proof, right? Proof that my body's getting healthier, feeling less hungry, right? So if you can show a patient that, they're, they're more likely to keep going. Like your body is getting healthier. Everything you're doing is helping, right? When, if you can say that to somebody, right? That's a big relief, you know? That's a big relief. Yeah, you know, definitely, but the biggest definitely. thing, the biggest thing people ask me is, you know, am I going to die from a heart attack? Well, let's get a calcium score. Let's look at your carotids. Let's see what your risk is. You know, maybe, maybe you do need to be on medication. I'll let you know, you know, it's a legitimate concern. Will I get a, you know, kidney stone? Great question. Let's talk about it. Right. So you have to, we like, it's the whole thing. I'm not, I'm not, it's not, I'm not practicing. The way I'm practicing is geared to my patient. Everything I'm trying to do is what it would it take if I was in their shoes. And so that's, that's been the model of this office, these four walls since day one. You know, how would, I, how would I address the most skeptical patient? How would I reach the most disenfranchised, least motivated, busiest, stressed out person? And that's, yeah, and that's you, our motto. I believe you found the perfect way in it, you know, somebody who is the busiest person who perhaps doesn't wholeheartedly believe anything you say, then the best way to do it is to show them, you know, attach the CGM monitor, show them on the scales, show them how every different thing you're implementing with them is working and is working for them in their body and the graphs that you show them and every little bit of science that you can pull out and show them, then that is an absolute brilliant way to work with them. Now, just for somebody perhaps listening, thinking, okay, yeah, that's great, but where do we start? So if somebody is thinking, I know I eat a lot of carbohydrates, I know I perhaps have a lot of processed food, then how do I begin to even think about becoming lower carb? How do I even begin to think about perhaps having a, a healthier nutrition and not managing to follow these guidelines that, that are out there? Yeah, so we, we've seen this in our practice. This is the hardest transition. It's the people who are like kind of healthy diet, right? So I was a doctor. I had a kind of healthy diet, right? I had my periodic, you know, binges in the hospital when I was stressed out. I would go for chocolate and stuff like that. But the diet was kind of healthy, right? So those people are an easy transition to low carb, right? Okay, because they're going to enjoy eating eggs. They're going to enjoy chicken. They're going to enjoy meat. They're going to enjoy Greek yogurt. It's not going to be so hard for them. The people who are like really processed food addicted, okay, we, you know, like they're eating Doritos, they're eating French fries, they're eating, pro they can't even cook, they're always eating out, right? This, it's really hard for them. And so we've like, we, those are the people we want to reach really is the people that will fail every diet, right? And so the way we start with those people is um, we replace the foods they can't restrict. So if you can't restrict chocolate, you can't restrict ice cream, you can't restrict whatever it is, you can't chips, you know, whatever it is, you can't restrict, okay? 
uh, we're going to replace it. We're going to replace it with a low carb version. I mean, it's come to the point where we literally will send patients a box and it's like a break the glass in case of emergency box, <laughs> right? It's a box of low carb food. And it's like, if you're going to have Hershey's, here's your chocolate. If you're going to have co Oreo cookies, here's your low carb cookie. If you're going to have ice cream, here is, you know, a way to make ice cream low carb, right? It's like literally a box. So we call it like a keto switch box. I mean, and we donate the profits from this. So it's not even like, we're not making any money off of it. There's no money. We're not selling anything. 100% is, it's a service, right? It's a service just because those people who are on a processed food diet coming off of it, it's tough. If you have to wake up, let's say you're a busy mom, you know, two or three kids, right? You're at home staring at their goldfish, staring at their waffles, staring at their cookies, staring at their cake. And you're like, why can't I go low carb enough, right? Well, all of a sudden now you get a box delivered to your home and you have all those things replaced. It just becomes easier to start lowering the carbs. Then what we find is after about a month of replacing the foods you can't restrict, after otherwise eating healthy foods, right? These are not health foods, but eating like real meat, fish, chicken, eggs, like your meals, make them healthy, right? Make them low carb. After about a month, people tell us all of a sudden they're not hungry, right? They're not hungry. They don't need all that stuff. Great, don't use it. You don't need it anymore. You know, you're not hungry now, right? And they'll say, well, then they'll start asking us around week six, do I really need to eat breakfast? I'm waking up, I just have my coffee, I'm not hungry. Well, great. You can now start intermittent fasting. You know, just don't eat if you're not hungry and eat when you are hungry. So it's first, replace the foods you can't restrict. Lower your carbs, wait for the appetite to suppress. When the appetite suppress, get rid of the junk that you, if you don't want it, don't eat it. If it's not a, you know, if you're not in a crisis moment, don't turn to the low carb crap food, I call it, right? Eat real foods, filling foods, right? And then when your appetite, when you find you're skipping meals fairly easily, skip meals more regularly, right? Skip meals more regularly and do some intermittent fasting and, and don't think that you're just going to be able to like, you know, fast again, you have to treat your appetite vulnerably, you know, like don't plan to fast, right? Plan to having to be stressed out. Your kids are screaming, your boss is pissed at you. You're locked down, you're depressed and you're staring at cupcakes. What would it take to win in that moment? Right. That's how you have to plan when you're fasting. It's not about, oh, I'm, I'm going to do really good. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to press the doctor. I'm going to not eat for 18 hours. I don't want that, right? I don't need that. I know you're going to want it. Most people want to do good, be good. They're going to want to do their best, right? They just need their help in their weakest moments. So that's the general plan. Lower your carbs, replace the foods you can't restrict, you know, focus on real foods, use the crutches as needed in the beginning. As you eliminate the crutches, go more to real food when your appetite suppresses start eating less yeah that's great and uh, it's the same thing as when people say well what do i eat it's the same thing when people obviously ask the question of okay then well how do i go low carb and it's like it's such a big question because as you just explained there everybody's different and everybody's going to come at it from a different angle some people are going to be way way over on the high carbohydrates they're going to have focused most of their nutrition on processed food for a lot of their lives and they're going to need a lot different way to get into low carb as you explained with perhaps sweetened goods rather than 
rather than the goods they was eating with sugars and even things like diet drinks rather than fizzy drinks um, things like that just little changes will help somebody who is super high on the processed food super high on the carbs that will bring them in really really gradually but there is a like a another way like you say a program i run which is a four-week reset program for those people who i feel are ready are able to do it then they can just dive straight in get rid of all that processed food stay strong and go into real food and then they find out for themselves how they can fast where they can fast if fasting is any good for them and things i promote are nutrient dense foods so i don't tend to dip into any camp like keto or, or carnivore or anything like that just try and tell people look if you're eating these nutrient dense foods then they're going to help you to stay full limit the snacks make sure that you can fast okay things like that but i really like the way you emphasize the fact that not everybody can do that not everybody's going to jump in there at the, at the same place at the same time some people are going to need a lot longer and that's the problem that i find and, and a lot of people that i speak to find as well they don't give it long enough yeah it's at least six weeks we have pretty good data in our practice to say uh you know that's why we don't really care about the keto junk food in the beginning right? We don't care about it. It's going to take you six weeks. So, but, but um, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, look, you know, I had a patient yesterday, literally yesterday who came to me and said, you know, I'm getting really hungry. I'm snacking on nuts at 10 o'clock. I ate, I eat at 830. I'm like, what are you eating? Well, I have two or three eggs. You know, I'm like, okay, let's just think about this. You ate two or three eggs. When you have pizza, how many slices of pizza do you eat? Well, two, maybe three, and then two hours later, I'm eating another one at least, right? So you have four slices of pizza and you're still hungry at the end of all this. That's 1600 calories, okay? That's 1600 calories. And you think that 200 calories worth of eggs is gonna cut it for you, right? So when it comes to nutrient dense filling, satiating foods, right? When it comes to a food that's gonna leave you full, don't cheap out right? Eat until you're full because it's going to, it'll have a lasting impact. So if you just double your eggs there or triple your eggs at eight o'clock, you're going to save yourself three handfuls of nuts at 10 o'clock. And again, at 11 o'clock, right? Because you're not going to be, you're going to be so full. I asked them if you ate two slices of pizza, that's like eight, that's like 10 eggs of that. If you ate two slices of pizza worth of eggs in terms of energy, if you had 10 eggs, at 8.30, you think you're going to be snacking on nuts at 10? It's like, there's no way I'd be throwing up, right? So this is the beauty of like, you know, this concept of nutrient density. It's like you and I get it, but the average person doesn't get it. Yeah, I think like, it's important to emphasize there, like, like what you're saying as well with the concept of the eggs is people think, okay, so I just need the nutrient dense food. So then what they do is they take away everything else. So, so let's say they had a plate and they had some steak on that plate with potentially some pasta, potatoes, all other types of vegetables and things. Then what they do is they'll take away what they think is not nutrient dense. So they'll take away the potatoes, take away the vegetables left with the steak and then just eat that steak rather than actually realizing like what you say that they need to replace what they're taking away. So instead of having that just that steak, have two steaks. Now, increase that nutrient density. Increase what you've taken away. You still need to have the meal. You still need to have the food to make you feel full and satiated. 
Yeah, look, here's the bottom line, right? If somebody goes to the diner or the local restaurant for breakfast, you know, they're getting two eggs, they're getting, you know, toast, they're getting hash browns or potato, you know, fried potato, whatever. They're getting, you know, their cream and the coffee, a couple orange juice, right? They're getting all of that. And now you think three eggs is going to cut it? Like you were just eating five times that amount, right? So the, so you're absolutely right. The, the first thing we tell people is you need to eat more. And it sounds like it doesn't make sense. Like, why would you tell somebody with obesity to eat more? But no, 100% of the time, people coming into this office who have obesity are under eating satiating foods. If you have eggs, meat, fish, chicken, you know, Greek yogurt, right? You're going to be eating, you need to eat two to three times what you think is normal. And then you need to be making leftovers so that four hours later, if you just happen to get hungry, you have more satiating food to eat. So you know what? Eat three to four times what you think is normal because you're going to be under eating these foods right off the bat and make yourself more so that you save all those leftovers so you eat it when you're hungry. I mean, it's, it's, so this concept of nutrient density gets thrown around and, and you and I know what it means, but, but the average person, just make it simple for them, right? It's these foods are filling. If you eat a pound of trim sirloin, it's 800 calories. Okay, it's 800 calories. That's two slices of pizza with pepperoni. Which one is gonna leave you full at the end of it? If you eat 10 eggs, which one is going to leave you? That's nutrient density. And I don't even, I just, I don't even tell them nutrient density. You know, it's like, it's a filling food. If you have a filling food, a food that doesn't leave you more hungry, a food that doesn't want leave you wanting more. And you're like, you can't eat afterwards. That's gold. If you're somebody with obesity trying to eat less and has all constant hunger, that is your gold. So, um, you know, it, it's filling food. You know, but you and I, we know what we're saying. I know what you're saying when you say nutrient density, but like, you know, I mean, our vitamin is nutrient dense, you know, but it doesn't fill me up, Yeah. you know? <laughs> so like, I, you know, that's the, uh, and, and we use this lingo and all of our, it's, this is a criticism of our whole profession. Our whole profession says it, you know, every single low carb doctor I've met says nutrient density, right? Ted Naiman says nutrient density, right? All, you know, the primal people all say nutrient density, like, most people aren't eating for nutrients, like at least on the subconscious level, right? So, so it's like, just eat filling food, man. That's it. You know, you know, uh, sorry, I try to make it like, you know. Uh, no, that's great. That's great. That's a, something to add to it. I mean, I should, I should add that um, yeah. to my own vocabulary is just eat filling food. I mean, like you say, when we talk about nutrient density, it suddenly pops into our head what it is. It's food that's full of absolutely loads of vitamins and minerals, and it's going to keep you full for ages if you eat plenty of it. But like you say, some people think, well, what is it? You know, where can I buy, what shelf do I get this from? In yeah, the supermarket, exactly. Right? You know? yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like, you know, can I get cabbage and a vitamin? And is that nutrient dense? Yeah. You know, like mix it together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a tough tough thing it's like i get it i know what you mean and i know what our whole profession means but it's like at the end of the day you're that person at the other end of it struggling with obesity struggling with hunger and appetite and managing it it's like just take my hunger away man and help me lose weight you know i mean yeah you know well i shouldn't say that if those the optimizing crowd right then then that nutrient density becomes really important right 
you know, then, then, so I, sh I shouldn't, I, you know, I should be careful, you know, not to talk too, uh, too much in extremes. Right. So uh, that's brilliant. Absolutely great to touch on that. And, and I'm sure loads of people now, if they're, they're listening, they now know what nutrient dense food is. And uh, like you say, <laughs> if they can just think food, that's going to keep, get me full and, and keep me full and, and there you go. But there's uh, something that I wanted to discuss about low carb was the fact of exercise on low carb. There is certain athletes that we work with and they say, look, I, I just can't do this, this low carb. It's depleting me a lot. I can't do my high intense exercise. Can low carb still help you towards exercise? And can you pull enough energy out of a low carb nutrition to support exercise? Or at that point, do you then have to put carbs in? I ran, you know, 5k completely fasted in under 19 minutes, right? No carbs for weeks. So I don't know if that answers your question. Not, I'm not like Olympic, but like this is a top 1% performance for the population, probably top 0.1% performance for the population. And I'm not some gift to God, you know, in terms of running, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not. So, and well, should you listen to my anecdote? No. So um, you could you know, argue that 5K is potentially a, a quick sprint, not an endurance like a marathon. Well, even the opposite sense. So I, I think actually marathon, there's even more data to support probable uh, utility, right? So if you look at endurance training, um, you know, we know Zach Bitter is the 100 mile record holder. He keeps a fairly low carb diet. Um, but if you look, so I think the question becomes is what's the goal, right? Is there a short-term goal, long-term goal or an intermediate term goal? And I think when I deal with athletes who come to me saying, I wanna do a low carb diet, one of the things we do is we start off season, right? So we never start on season. It, like you're gonna, you're just, it's not worth it. You know, if you're a healthy young person, right? Who's got a normal blood sugar and a normal triglyceride, right, which probably most athletes are, right, and a fairly lean fat mass, you're going to have the worst keto flu, right? You're going to have the worst. So that means that for at least three to four weeks, your performance is going to suffer, right? Your body composition may improve over like week three to week eight when you start to lose fat, but your performance is definitely going to suffer. And if you lose a month from high intensity performance as an elite athlete, that's huge. Right? So I think the problems become is what about the, the hobby athletes? What about people like me, you know, who just want to run their town 5k in place, right? You can do it, do it anytime. Okay. Know what to expect, right? That there's going to be a adaption period there. That's, you know, you're not going to feel good for three weeks. There's pretty good data to show that under three weeks, it's actually harmful for our performance. Okay. So if you do a ketogenic diet and you're expecting that you're, you know, it's going to be like rainbows and unicorns, it's not, it's going to be the worst thing you've ever done for three weeks, especially if you're trying to train at high volumes and high intensities, your fat oxidation takes a week to ramp up. Cyprian showed that with exercise, fat oxidation even goes out for a month increasing. So, um, 
Yeah, I'm pleased so, you said that because I yeah. just want to say that that we do work with some athletes and I always try and reiterate the fact that if if you are coming into low carb, if we are trying to work with you, then you must, if you're going out doing any sort of exercise at all, whatever it is, whether it be endurance or strength, whatever, we try and say, keep it as low intense as you can. Because you there's no point going out doing any races, like you say, your performance is going to suffer. What you're in the process of doing is you're in the process of making, helping your body switch from burning carbohydrates over to more of a fat burning metabolism. And during that process, like you say, some people get keto flu. Some people switch really, really quickly. Some people switch a lot, lot slower. And I've spoken to people who have actually taken a year to actually manage to switch over from being a pure sugar burner to, to fat burner. So it can take a long time. Um, but really, it's just about keeping that intensity low. And I like the way you say we do it off season. There's no point in doing it in a season when everybody's got the races because they'll just bum out and then absolutely chuck it out the window, like you say. Yeah. And here's the thing I think there's pretty solid data for the hobby exercisers, right? The, you know, that after four weeks, there's a, enough of an adaption, right, that uh, people are like the performance will be comparable. So they've done Olympic weightlifters, hit, you know, CrossFit athletes, uh, gymnasts, um, triathletes, uh, endurance athletes. It seems to be definitely after four weeks, particularly after 12 weeks, the performance seems to equalize. Um, you know, and I, I have to stress what's the goal? You know, what's the goal? of it. Now, I think that certainly, you know, if the body composition always worsens off season, that's the perfect person, right? Their body composition worsens every off season and they, they now they have two months kind of, of time. That's the perfect time. You know, that's the perfect person. I think um, it's tough. I really think if you're a young, healthy athlete, you probably have the least benefit from you know, lowering the carbs, right? Versus like somebody who's diabetic and, you know, high triglycerides and, you know, wildly overweight. Um, in terms of how you feel, it can be a big deal though. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, they, their, their recovery feels, I mean, it just feels great. I mean, it feels great. Yeah. When, when we're working with the younger athletes or even a lot of athletes in general, try and get across the fact that it's better to be metabolically flexible um, so that means, you know, burning sugar and fat rather than being able to just be one-sided rather than the other-sided. Because a lot of people, maybe they don't know it. If they are hobbyist athletes and they're young and they're fit, they may be already partially metabolically flexible. It's just a case of can we get you even more metabolically flexible, which will take a, a little bit more work and may not be as impactful as somebody who is already just over on the sugar side. So one yeah, thing I mean, it's, it takes time. I mean, Cyprian showed that it even after a month, the fat oxidation is still going up. And, and if you look at the faster study, you know, it, it, they, they have, so if we know that performance suffers acutely and we know from the faster study that muscle glycogen kind of equalizes at on average six months out, let's just say. So we know there's some gradient between these two places, right? And if you look at the performance data, there seems to be an equalization of performance between four and 12 weeks. So if, if the ideal amount of time is more than four weeks, probably 12 weeks, ideally six months, right? Ideally six months. And 
then it, then the questions become for the elite athletes is how many carbs do you bring in? How do you periodize carbs? How do you use carbs? Um, you know, because it's different. Like I would never really talk about carb periodization in my diabetics, but then when I get my athletes in, they're like, well, you're the low carb MD podcast guy. And you're telling me to, you know, add back carbs. Well, it's one, we're not zealots. And two, you know, different, different strokes for different folks, right? What that, you know, what that, if you want to make it three hours worth of uh, soccer practice, right? It's a different story than if you're an obese diabetic and you want to get through 45 minutes of the gym. Yeah, yeah. Again, like you say, you've got to understand where you're coming from, where you've started from, and uh, everybody's got to know the goal that they want. Everybody's got to have that end goal that they're after. Why are they doing it? And what do they want to achieve? If you're just doing it for a bit of fun, then perhaps it's never going to stick and you're not going to get anything out of it that you want. You need that goal, whether that be improved performance, lose weight, become more metabolically flexible, whatever it is you want, you must have that goal. Now, something I say a lot to people of endurance athletes and even people who are wanting to lose a bit of weight, I say you need to prioritize your protein. As soon as I say something like prioritizing protein, they might take a back step and say, whoa, hang on a minute. You know, I don't want all this protein in me. I don't want to get big muscles or, or I, I don't want to end up down the road of people who are maybe a little bit more clued up, say about gluconeogenesis and say, well, if I eat loads of protein, then that's basically carbohydrates. Can you dispel that myth for us? Yeah, we've never limited. Uh, the only people we've limited protein in are patients with severe diabetes, like type one and a half, you know, um, who want to focus on non-insulin approaches, you know, their body doesn't make a lot of insulin and they don't necessarily have an eating issue or a body composition issue. And they just want to, uh, not have to take insulin. They're right on the border of needing to take it versus not having to take it. So in those people we've restricted protein. I don't really, I haven't really seen a benefit to restrict protein in any other group. Um, besides them, um, in, you know, in fact, our type one patients, we tell them to dose, you know, uh, if they have, um, if they have a big protein meal to dose about one fifth of the insulin needs they would for carbohydrates and to, and to delay it over eight hours because the rise from protein happens in type one patients between five to eight hours, not like immediately with carbohydrates. So it's not carbohydrates, it's not going to turn to carbohydrates, it's different. Um, does it's, it affect It's a much slower process, is, is what you're saying. It's a much slower process, even if it yeah. does eventually turn into uh, glucose in the body. It's a much, much slower process. Yes, yeah, slower process, and it's not the same. It's not the same. So it's not the same. It's not sugar. I wouldn't, I mean, like this idea of limiting protein matters to less than one or two out of 10 people coming to see me. Yeah. So okay. Basic, I mean, like a 90%, 90%, you can get away with saying prioritize protein. Yeah. Right. Especially if you have athletes, especially for people losing weight. You know, I think the problem becomes when people hear prioritize protein, they also hear limit fat, yeah. you know, and that's definitely not necessary for most people because we're just a generally a lower fat, the lower animal fat diet right? The general population is lower animal fat. So when they hear prioritized protein, they think I need to eat chicken breast and plain tuna, right? Mm -hmm. No, 
like have your eggs, have your steak, have your fish, eat the skin. That's it. You know, don't like, um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I think the real point here is there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, things you see on the internet that don't apply to everybody and they don't apply to you, the listener, right? So just talk to somebody you trust that can help guide you. You know, if you hear like limit protein because it turns to, you know, ice cream, you know, that should all ring bells that maybe you're not getting your information from a great source. Yeah, prioritize protein is, is where we go. And also generally when we prioritize protein, we go back to what we said earlier and that's in that nutrient dense food. So by prioritizing protein, we do get those nutrient dense foods as well. Now, it's been absolutely amazing talking to you. I know you gotta gotta get off on it and thank you very much for spending the time to come and talk to us. If people want to follow you and want to see all the data that you put out there. And I know you've got a great Instagram. Let's tell people where they can find you. Yeah. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, TikTok. It's at Dr. Tro spelled out D O C T O R T R O.com uh, or T R O. And then my website's the same, you know, D O C T O R T R O.com. Um, yeah, and, you, and I'm, we're, we're really responsive on social media. And you do have your own great podcast out there as well, don't you, with, uh, with other doctors? Yeah, Low Carb MD Podcast. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's all about low-carb nutrition and losing weight and lifestyle. It's been a great. We've, you know, we have over 4 million downloads. We're, you know, we're doing this now over two years, and it's myself and Brian Lenskis, uh, two doctors just chit-chatting. So with people like you. You know, maybe we got to get you on too. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, no problem. Have a good one. Really enjoyed chatting with Dr. Tro there. He absolutely says it as it is and has the passion to follow up all the science and all the data to show how well a ketogenic style nutrition works. Just remember all those fundamentals we know about. You know, ditch the processed and refined foods. Eat nutrient-dense real food, or as Dr. Tro says, those foods that get you full and keep you full. Prioritise that protein and have those animal fats along with it. Go spells without eating. I'll say this, fasting is very often the best meal you can have. Now, looking forward, we have another bonus Tuesday episode for you coming up. This week, we have the Director of the Public Health Collaboration. He joins us to enlighten us all on the way calorie counting just does not work, especially long term. Remember, hunger always wins in the end. So don't be drawn into those Weight Watchers or Slimming World diets. They are designed to keep you coming back yo-yo style. When the short-term weight you lost just goes straight back on, that's when hunger wins. Anyway, Mr. Sam Felton will tell us all about it and his unique experiments with calories on Tuesday coming up. So until then, take care, be strong, be healthy, and I'll see you next time.